Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all, dear listeners. It is Wednesday, the 4th of October, 2023. You're joined here in the House of Victories, the Battle of Two Mosques, the largest mosque in Europe, by myself, uh, Muhammad Atri, your usual Wednesday presenter. And uh, brother Nuruddin Jangir, assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. How are you doing this morning, brother? Welcome, sir, rahmatullah, peace be upon you too. Um, bit of a gloomy start, but um, hopefully we'll brighten up. And um, I'm sure this um, the topics that we've have, have at hand today are going to be ones that the listeners are looking forward to. And there's going to be some interesting points we're going to discuss. So can't wait to just dive into it. Yeah, God willing. We will, you know, uh, as always, we in the first segment, you know, we discuss the news uh, and the weather and then we will delve into our, um, you know, topics of the morning. We've got some interesting lineup of topics for you guys as well as, uh, you know, some interesting guests as well, which we will be discussing further uh, later on. But uh, let's get into the news. So uh, this weekend uh, and uh, Friday as well. There was a um, a annual gathering for the Youth Association of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community, um, and you know it was held in um, on like a farm site in uh, in Kingsley, which is in Hampshire, uh, and um, you know it was a really interesting event because there was many different you know there's many different things going on. There's like we have a hub over there, which uh, you know where you can where people are delivering talks on different topics. As well as uh, there's like a little tuck shop which gives you, you know, waffles and milkshakes and whatnot. We have a little bazaar as well where you can get burgers and stuff. Uh, as well as, you know, various different uh, competitions going on for the, you know, Youth Association of the MD Muslim Community where they can take part in um, the uh, competition of the recitation of the Holy Quran or, you know, delivering some poems, as well as we did have also a sports field in the back where, you know, various different sports took place, such as football, volleyball, cricket, and weightlifting. And there was a little, there was a, not a little, I would say, there was a section for the very young uh, youth of the Amdiya Muslim community from ages, uh, even under seven, they were welcome this time as well. And, you know, it was a really prosperous, really interesting event that we hold every year. Very successful event. We had over 6,000 attendees, um, by the grace of Allah. How, how was your experience of the National Ishtama? You know, this year was actually a very different year for me in terms yeah. of the experience of the Ishtama because every year I'm normally just in the football squad hmm. for my region. Yeah. Um, and so my whole, <laughs> most, <laughs> of my, most of my Ishtama I just spent on the sports field. Yeah. And the rest of it, obviously, just for food and then prayer, hmm. etc. Hmm. Um, but this year, is because, I mean, I guess it's a kind of a blessing in disguise. In a way, there's a silver lining to having an injury. Yeah, I'm just recovering from that. So I was able to just, you know, just relax and just mm. to see what the Ishtama has to offer. Um, to see the exhibitions, to go to the hub, as you mentioned. Mm. And just to meet um, all our Ahmadi brothers. Yeah. yeah. It was it was quite a unique thing. Even there's, there's, there's different representatives of different groups, such as mm. the RAF, the police, yeah. etc., they were all there as well, so it's good to talk to them mm. and good to see uh, the work that they that they do throughout the year as well. Definitely. So, I mean, in that sense, um, of course, the the highlight is also His Holiness has Mirza Masrur Ahmed may strengthen his hand. Of course. Um, attending the event and um, delivering the keynote address at yeah. the end. Um, so, I mean, in that sense, it was a very 
um, enriching experience for myself. I even brought my my young son, four year old son, and he oh, nice. he enjoyed it as well. Yeah. As you said, there were things yeah. for under sevens yeah. as well, bouncy castles, etc. Yeah, definitely. As well as you know, there was also at uh, the night there was a fireside talk as well, uh, which was really interesting from different uh, speakers, and you know they gave us s'mores uh, as well, and it was it was really nice. The the atmosphere was really nice. Absolutely, yeah. I think I think because I've spoken to some brothers from other from abroad yeah. as well who yeah. were in attendance. Yeah. And they were all saying how, you know, there's so many things we can learn from this Mishima, hmm. um, this, this gathering that the youth have had. Definitely. And things that they want to then implement in their countries. So in that sense, I believe that it was a very good success. Hmm. Definitely. And, you know, the like the main purpose is, uh, you know, for, for like brotherhood, getting together. As well as you mentioned, you know, we everyone offered their, you know, five daily prayers. Many people stayed on site as well. There was accommodation over there available. And um, it was, you know, it's like a unification is like an enrichment of faith basically absolutely yeah yeah it's really nice um i mean i mean i think one of the things that was highlighted was yeah. um I'm, I'm not sure if it was somebody from the RAF or from the Surrey police yeah they they saw all this uh, all these operations going on you know people working in accommodation people working in transport people working in on the site mm. and they just asked like um so you guys are being paid for this right yeah or is it all voluntary mm. and they were told all of this that you see going on, it's all on a voluntary basis. Our boys, they come and they, they just um, present their services and they say, look, we're ready to serve in any way, in any capacity required mm. of us. Yeah. And for them, that was a real eye-opener. But for us, it's something which is normal because that's ingrained in us from a very, very young age. Mm. Um, but I mean, I think it just shows how tight-knit a community we are and an organized we are. Yeah, and that's definitely. another very like f- interesting feature in terms of the any organization for any program that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community holds. Hmm. Definitely, definitely. Um so in in other news there's been there's been like a disaster in Venice. Um 21 have died as a Venice bus plunges from bridge. Uh so reports say that the um, you know bus uh, is thought to have been rented to take tourists between Venice and a campsite in a nearby uh, nearby district and um the, uh, so supposedly the bus was powered by methane gas and fell onto the power lines and caught fire. That's so sad, very sad yeah, news, two yeah. two children uh, have died um, and uh, in total twenty one uh, deaths have occurred. So our thoughts and prayers go out to the family of the loved one, uh, of the loved ones. Um, Obviously, there was a yeah. there was Suella Braverman delivered her speech at the Conservative Party yeah. uh, conference and. Um, you know, a lot of the papers have covered this mm. in the, as a front cover story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, some of them calling it like her, a kind of job application for <laughs> for the for being the prime next prime minister. Yeah. Whilst others have really um, commended her, and others have condemned her mm. equally. Mm. Um, she talks about how a hurricane of um, of migrants, a hurricane of the, mass migration, mass migration is coming to the, the UK. UK yeah. So that kind of uh, language mm. can fuel. A lot of hate towards uh, immigrants. Hmm. Um, <laughs> being the Home Secretary, you'd, you'd yeah. expect her to be the most, um, to be hmm. uh, very, very clever and very um, careful with the hmm. words that she chooses. Um, but I mean, <laughs> being a migrant herself and seeing yeah. the struggles of it from her parents, etc., hmm. I guess that doesn't really open a knife for for her. Unfortunately, she's a part. From, she's a Goan Indian. Uh, descent right and yeah. from Kenya and 
and Mauritius. Mm. <laughs> so and married to a Jew. <laughs> so that in itself yeah. should, should be yeah. enough um, mm. enough of an indication of how migration and immigration can be um, very useful to, to the country of Britain mm. and to have them so successful that they can get to the stage of being home secretary as well. Yeah, definitely. So so she said, uh, you know, um, some of the stuff that she said in her speech is that people with... Um, she she told the delegates that uh, their party stood with the hard-working, common-sense majority against the few, the privileged, woke minority with their luxury beliefs. People with luxury beliefs will flock to Labour at the next election because that's the way to get the kind of society they want. They're like open borders. The migrants coming in won't be taking their jobs. In fact, they are more likely to be to have them mowing their lawns. They love soft sentences. The criminals who benefit from such ostentatious compassion won't be terrorising their streets. They are desperate to reverse Brexit. For these people, I have a simple message. You are entitled to your luxury beliefs, but the British people will no longer pay for them. So that's that's just a little taster of uh, you know her speech. If you would like to go and listen to it and see what her thoughts are on this whole situation, I mean the I mean another big thing which is um, especially very anticipated for today, yeah, is how the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is going to. Hmm. Um, it is expected that he'll announce the discontinuation of the project, the HS2 project for yeah. um, the train line running from yeah. I think it was Birmingham to Manchester. Yeah, that part of the yeah, yeah. of the line, yeah. um, obviously. That's been criticised a lot for, mm. you know, the Tories making so many promises. They'll help the North a lot more. Mm. Um, stop just thinking just about the about the South, about London. Yeah. But um, it clearly shows their inability to um, follow through with their promises. Mm. And uh, despite despite claiming to be the, you know, the Prime Minister of Change, yeah. the candidate for Change, um, he's um, it seems he's just following the same suit as those who've um, come before him. Um, unfulfilled promises, um, you know. It's, it's. Uh, I mean, it's. I don't know. I don't know how it feels because I heard he's going to be in Birmingham itself to mm. deliver this address. Um, let's see what the reception is. I'm sure it's going to not going to be the kindest one. Um, obviously, that would have been something which would have been very of much benefit to them. Yeah. Having that line there, um, you know, it would have saved a lot of time for them and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of amenities and everything, mm. etc. Facilities for them. Yeah. Also, you know, there's been another attack uh, from an American XL bully dog. On, another on, one on on a on a little child. It seems to be on a almost, on a, on a almost daily basis yeah. now. A toddler so, this time. Yeah, on a toddler. Um, and you know the the toddler. He's uh, it was a twenty uh, month old. He was left with uh, various injuries. Um, and the dog was seized. You know. Um, yeah. The dog was seized after that happening, you know. And uh, you know, Rishi Sunak he has put a ban on XL bully dogs by the end of the year under the Dangerous Dogs Act, and it's the first breed to be banned in, uh, since 1991. Um, and you know, there was protests against this as well. A lot of mm. XL bully dogs um, owners came through, and they said, you know, it's not the dog's fault, it's but the owners' owners', yeah. owners fault. But then, then. You can't just put every owner into. You can't yeah. ban every owner, right? Exactly. Yeah. I think. I think I was. I was watching in a on a talk show. I think it was the Good Morning Britain. Yeah. Where they were the hosts were speaking to a breeder for this specifically for the mm. American, um, XL. Was it called XL, XL Bully? XL Bully. Yeah. Yeah. And she was arguing that you know I've I've trained hundreds of these dogs mm. and yeah. not a single one of them has ever attacked. Well, I've never seen any of them attack anybody. Mm. Um. But the fact of the matter is that they're so big that mm. there's going there's bound to be some yeah. some bad um, 
um, what you call it, owners out there. Definitely. The fact definitely. there's there's hundreds of thousands of dogs in the UK, mm, right? Mm. And some of them will have bad bad owners, yeah. and some of them will have good owners. Mm. But the fact is that when you when you when you mix having a bad owner and a big a, dog, a which big is very dog, which, can be dangerous yeah, and yeah. has much more potential to harm yeah. others, mm. that is when there's trouble. So it's a bad combination. Exactly, yeah. and it's the, the the attacks over the last couple of years has mm. amounted 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 to seventy percent of all dog attacks that have um, mm. um, attacks on humans. Yeah, and so it clearly shows that there is something something uh, wrong there hmm. and there is a, there's clearly a danger hmm. uh, to owning that dog especially those who are, are perhaps incapable of doing so but the, the the interesting thing is that some of those who have been attacked have even been well um you know well well experienced trainers those hmm. who are dog walkers yeah. those who uh, actually train dogs hmm. they themselves have had family uh, or um who have been attacked hmm. so it goes to show that you know even if you are a very good owner yeah. it doesn't um uh, you know, annulled. There's a, a possibility hmm. for this dog to still um, attack attack yeah. any human. I mean, um, you know, at the end of the day, they are animals who have been tamed. I understand they've been tamed, yeah. but they're animals, right? Animals, animals have yeah. uh, wild instincts. Um, and you know, Islam being the perfect and universal religion that it is, uh, you know, the teachings of uh, you know, you are and even in Islam, you are allowed to have a dog as a guard, right? Yeah. A guard dog. Uh, for so, hunting. Sorry, or for hunting as well. Uh, or for hunting as well. Yeah. Yes, or for hunting as well. So uh, there are, uh, you know, uh, ways that Islam uh, does allow you to have, you know, these uh, type of pets and uh, take care of them, and let them essentially take care of you as well. But um, you know, uh, th- this this sort of thing is if it's harmful to society, harmful to other fellow human beings, then you know. Uh, this uh, act put in by the prime minister is is i i guess it is the right step i think the issue is um trying to define it yeah. is is why there is a delay hmm. because um you know how mu- how much percentage of a certain breed does it uh, do you do you, you know put the stop at yeah where do you say okay this is where it now hmm. is defined as a american xl bully yeah so i mean i think that's the that's the issue i mean even that the the dog breeder she was saying a lot of the attacks that she's seen on these TVs on the on the on the news they don't seem to be exactly the same as the ones that she's used to um training and breeding yeah. etc so there might be some other kind of mix in there maybe, some, from some maybe other breed you, so, so again that's the that's the the difficulty where do you put the where do you draw the line hmm. uh also petrol prices have risen for four months uh, in a row oh no yeah so uh, for the for the fourth uh, month in a row, jumping by four point five liter on average uh, last month. Um, yeah, so you know petrol is just going back up. I've I've seen it as well. You know, slowly it's just uh, going back Creeping up. up again. Yeah, it's just um, I don't I don't understand like what what they're making record profits. The oil <laughs> companies, right? They're making they're raking in billions of pounds. They're not, you know, properly being taxed over it or anything like that, and um, we, we, the the people, the poor people, they're suffering. Absolutely, it's always the the poorest in society who have yeah. to take the brunt of it. Mm. Um, anyway, I mean, there's something that affects people everywhere. Um, mm. I mean, that's, that's I think they're trying to just push people towards <laughs> getting the electric cars, etc. <laughs> again. 
like recently. But you know, <clears throat> we spoke about electric cars as well. They're not perfect either. Absolutely. Um, you know, with them getting their batteries and uh, mining for for the material for the batteries, it's not uh, you know, like a low emission process or anything. It's, it amounts to a lot of carbon emissions. Uh, but you know, that's that's another story that maybe we can discuss later. Um, anything else interesting that's caught your eye in the news? I think that's that's mainly it. Let's not talk about sports because Manchester United didn't do too well. <laughs> Arsenal didn't do too well. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. in the Champions League. What's in the the weather? What's the, the weather? Saying? The weather is uh, you know it's looking. Uh, it's, it's it's as if like winter's winter's basically here. It's slowly getting colder and colder by the day, uh, especially here. You know, in the south. Yeah. Um, but uh, so today, uh, you know, it's. Um, the forecast for London is that um, uh, mainly sunny, but yeah. clouds soon move in and there will be sunny spells, but the odd light shower cannot be ruled out. So that's it's 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 back to essentially you know typical, uh, you know dark, uh, especially because the days are shorter as well. It gets dark quite mm. early. It does yeah around um, I'd say like five thirty six o'clock it just starts getting dark. Uh, but I mean, uh, I mean, it's, it's this autumn weather, isn't it? Now yeah. it's slowly c- turning into winter. Hmm. Um, also, uh, you know, I, was, I was discussing this just yesterday with yeah. with somebody from another country, who from hmm. a hot country, and I was asking, does it does the weather affect you there as well, like the different hmm. seasons? Hmm. And of course, they said yes, it does. How did you know? I was like, this is a, there's there's a specific term for it. I can't remember right now. S- here is seasonal affective disorder. Yeah, exactly. Sad. Yeah. <laughs> sad. <laughs> I'm feeling sad today. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the gloomier it gets, you yeah. know, without the sun, like you, it does, it just does affect it how you're feeling, your, how you think. Yeah. And um, and it can lead people mm. towards depression as well, and mm. they don't know why, but th- this is the reason. Like, yeah. You know, you you wake up in the morning, you're going to work, it's it's dark, and then you get back and it's dark. Yeah. Right. I think just having the sun just um, just on your face a little bit yeah. like really brightens the day, mm. and give, probably gives hope for summer. I'd say. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. But yeah, we're just used to be having <laughs> gloomy weather here in the UK. Yeah, but we did have a decent summer this time. I'd say. Yeah, I think global warming's yeah. been uh, been a bit nice to us in, <laughs> <laughs> in one sense. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. So, dear listeners, uh, we'll be taking a very short break, and then we will be delving into our first segment of the show. Um, where we will be discussing a photographer that shines light on children's transplant needs. So don't go anywhere. Do join us after a very short break, uh, and then we will discuss this topic. The Promised Messiah, peace be on him, founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Islam, states, God Almighty has divided his wonderful universe into three categories. First, the world which is manifest and can be conceived through the eyes and the ears and other sensory organs, directly or indirectly, with the help of instruments. Secondly, the world which is hidden and which can be understood through deductive reasoning and hypothesizing. Thirdly, the world which lies even farther than the hidden world, so hard to conceive and almost beyond the reach of imagination. Very few are those who are aware of its existence. That is an entirely obscure world which cannot be conceived through deduction, but is only imagined. One can have access to it only with the help of spiritual vision, or revelation, or word from God, and not by any other means. As is evident from the unchanging will of God, 
manifested in nature, one can safely deduce that as God has provided man with the apparatus to understand the first two categories of his creation mentioned above, similarly he must have provided man with the apparatus and instruments to conceive that world of his creation which is mentioned under the third category. And that apparatus, as we have already mentioned, comprises spiritual vision, revelation, and the word of God. This mode of communication can never be conceived to be inoperative or to have ceased altogether in any age. Nay, but those who fulfilled the prerequisite have always been gifted with this and will continue to be gifted with the same. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim in the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show, dear listeners. We are delving into our first segment of the morning. Uh, a photographer has shined light on children's transplant needs. Uh, a photographer is exhibiting images of children waiting for transplants with the aim of encouraging people to talk about organ donations. Debbie Todd uh, is the photographer that we are speaking about today. Uh, she met uh, and she photographed 17 children who needed life-saving operations. But she said that other children died before she could get to the, meet them. She has been really supported by families of both donors and recipients. She said <clears throat> it was a taboo subject but uh, and people should be afraid people shouldn't be afraid to discuss it and after meeting with the family of uh, Beatrix she became aware of the issue that she met with a 2-year-old who needed a new heart Miss Todd says she never thought that there were hospitals full of children waiting for organs this isn't a campaign to force people or to say that you are a bad person if you do not donate Rather, you know, it's about um, people just um, making people realize and making them have a normal conversation. You know, there's many different um, things, many different difficult situations going on around the world that we just people just don't realize, don't talk about, and they just go about their day. People are, you know, so involved in their own life, in their own bubble, little bubble, little circle that they don't look outside that and they don't know what's going around going on around the world around them even even close by and yeah, absolutely yeah. i'm saying even for even for her she's highlighting how she herself was unaware of mm. um you know this hospital full of so many children who yeah. um you who don't are, know they're on the list to on wait a, transplants exactly. to get transplants and you know if people knew about this i'm yeah. sure a lot more people would come forward so in that sense what debbie's doing mm. has been um has been some great work to raise that awareness and to get Most people definitely. to you know, to to come to come forward and probably mm. donate whatever they can as well. Yeah, so and um, I believe we do have online with us. Uh, you know, the, the the person at hand that we do have online with us, our guest of the morning, Debbie Todd. Debbie Todd, who is a working class and socially engaged photographer based in the Northeast. Um, basically, her work portrays stories of marginalized people, enabling them to have a voice within society. And her works aim to create awareness and promote diversity, as we have mentioned. Mm. Good morning, Debbie Todd, and uh, uh, peace be upon you, and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Oh, good morning. Thank you very much. It's, been, it's our pleasure to have you on. Um, so, I mean, let's get, let's get straight into it. What To start with, could you please give us some of the background on the campaign? Yeah, so basically, I've been studying for the past four years um, at an institution called the Northern School of Art at the University of Pierre. Um, so... I started my master's actually last year and I thought I want to create some work, you know, that um, 
can promote change, uh, raise awareness rather than just do something that's only going to be seen by matutas. So I'd had um, some communications with some families whose children were in hospital, but um, I didn't kind of know a lot about it. I did want to know more, so I thought I'm going to make that part of my project. You know, I was hearing stories of children who'd been in there for two to three years and, um, you know, couldn't leave the hospital ward, and I thought... It's such a tragedy, isn't it? And Absolutely, people yeah. don't know about it. You know, that, that's what astounded me that I'd never even thought about it. And people I was speaking to kind of were in the same position. They didn't realise how long the wait would be. And even if it was a, a possibility that these children would have to be in hospital, you know. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you you spoke about how you wanted it not just to be seen by your tutors, but also by... Um, by others and I think you've been very successful in that sense and it's yeah going to, <laughs> it's going to, it's yeah I've been really lucky yeah it's 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 picked being picked up really well and in a great light as well which I'm really lucky about because you know um as with everything in life isn't it you know some people don't like to talk about certain things so so it was really great that people did you know not shy away from it because it is obviously a sensitive subject yeah I mean what is it that actually inspires you to try to give a voice to those who are marginalised or those who are forgotten about? I, I just feel that, um, yeah, that it's not fair <laughs> and that, um, you know, people need to be represented better and um, especially with this um, th- this campaign that I did, you know, it's just not talked about enough. So the fact it's not talked about means that things aren't happening, you know, people aren't having the discussion so that when if a tragedy does happen, you know, people aren't informed enough to make that decision, they panic and think, oh, no, I don't I don't know, you know. So yeah. the whole point of this campaign is to raise awareness so people have these conversations, you know, at home with their families so that if anything did happen, they can say, we know what we want to do, we know what our child would have wanted, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've seen some of the images that were, that were published in the BBC article. Um, you'd expect to have, you know, with images of children needing a transplant, they're probably a bit gloomy, a bit sad, and you probably feel a bit sympathy towards them. But I think alongside that, you've actually um, done it in a way that inspires hope and shows that they are they are not, um, you know, it's not it's not all doom and gloom. And they, you know, they are really hopeful that one day that they will get their um, the transplant that they do require. Um, yeah. But what actually, is it? Just 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 going on that. I mean, what is the symbolism of that? There's a red telephone in every single picture. What does that what does that symbolize? Yeah, there is, and that um, red telephone symbolises hope, it symbolises a potential call, it symbolises a life for these children, you know, that they have a better quality of life. You know, obviously I didn't want it to be really kind of depressing, you know, these these children are living, you know, they've got hope, they've got a future, you know, they just need someone to, to extend that future by making that decision, you know, to to donate an organ that they require. Um, so, yeah, that's what the telephone is. And I've photographed children who are waiting for the call and then children also who've received it. So that oh, shows, wow. you know, that the hope. So the children, yeah. yeah, so the children that are answering the telephone are the children who've received the call. So, you know, it kind of goes full circle. I also included some, some donor children and some children who didn't receive the call to show all aspects of it. You know, it's not just a clear, you know, this this is what's happening there's so many different stories you know absolutely there must have been i mean from what i've read if i've if i've understood correctly there were some who didn't make it as you were going to take the photographs as well yeah so obviously things change all the time so 
obviously I was making connections with people and planning to go down and you know people would say well obviously I was saying you know that bad things had happened and the child didn't make it from the other side as well some people were messaging saying oh they've had the call that we're going home next week you know so it's amazing as well as, as very sad you know I mean, yeah, I mean, there must be an array of emotions in the hospital for those who do get it and those who don't. I, mean, I can't imagine, you yeah. know, and all these families are experiencing this trauma. You know, it's not just their child in the hospital that is, is um, traumatic for them. You know, they're, they're witnessing other children, other families' pain and, and their trauma as well. So even if they do come out of it the other side, they've still got all those memories and those deep connections with the families who have also experience trauma and and things like that, you yeah, know. It must be extremely difficult to, to witness. I mean, do any of these uh, family stories in particular stand out to you? To be honest, they're so individual, you know. Um, the only thing that stands out to me is how passionate the families are, you know, about obviously wanting to raise awareness to help their children and other children that they know are affected. But... Also, even when they've had the transplant, they don't just go home and close the door. You know, they they want to raise awareness. They want to support each other. You know, years later, they're still communicating with other families who are waiting. And there's st- some people, some of the families have um, set up charities to raise awareness and uh, they're campaigning to, to change. Yeah. You know, so it, it's amazing community. You know, um, it's it, yeah, it's really hard to describe because obviously, one minute I didn't know the ex- it was a thing and the next minute there's this massive community and on the organ donation side so there's lots of families who donated their child's organs who are carrying on to say you you should consider doing this too and that's the whole point of the campaign as well it's not to say you must do this because everyone has their own ideas don't they and thoughts and feelings on it yeah all it's the campaign is trying to do is say would you consider it? How would you feel if you were in that position of requiring an organ for your child? So if you were in the position to give an organ, would you? You know, that that's what it is. Would you do it? Just consider it. Absolutely. Debbie, it's, it's, a, it's a really heartwarming story. And, um, you know, I thank you for, for your work and for raising awareness for this. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. And I uh, hope you have a good rest of the rest of the day. Thank you very oh, much. thanks so much. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Thanks Bye-bye. a lot. Bye bye. So that was Debbie Todd, um, who the story is all about. Mm. Who's a photographer yeah. who, when when doing her masters, took mm. pictures of the children in these hospitals who, you know, are awaiting an organ transplant. Yeah. And um, yeah, I guess her her work has um, has been really awarded in the sense that it's, you know people have started reading about it people have started being aware about it mm. and hopefully they're coming forward to to help out these these children as she's mentioned yeah definitely definitely and um you know we do have a brief um audio clip in regards to you know organ um organ tra- uh, transplants heart transplants so let's listen to that one briefly <laughs> With baboon, with baboon heart, who has died? Yes. You know, it's according to Islam, there is nothing wrong with it, even if by compulsion one has to use a pig's heart. The fact is 
that it is not uh, the physical heart which determines one's character, but it is something else. It is soul or uh, spirit, whatever you call it, which is referred to by the Holy Quran as heart. So the principle is that first to, to save life, the Holy Quran permits us, permits anyone who, anyone who finds himself in uh, a diverse situation, to even partake of uh, pig's meat. The underlying principle obviously is that human life is more important. And to save human life, even to eat pig is permissible. So, under the same principle, all efforts which are made in the direction of saving lives, not at the cost of other human beings, should be permissible in Islam unless something is positively and categorically forbidden by itself. That is different. But otherwise, this is the overruling principle. So that was the fourth caliph of the MD Muslim community underlining the importance and value of human life. We do have online with us our next guest caller, Sergio Petrucci, MBE, is the, who is the founder and CEO of the UK-based heart charity, the Red Sky Foundation, which provides cardiac care, support and life-saving equipment for babies, children and adults living with complex heart conditions. Good morning, peace be upon you and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good morning and peace be upon you as well. Thank you for having me on the show. It's, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, just to get into things, um, what are the aims of the Red Sky Foundation? So the Red Sky Foundation is a charity that's set up to help and support babies and children that have or may be born with um, complex heart conditions. It's also our mission to make sure that everybody receives the best possible care to treat those condi- conditions as well, not only in the northeast of England but across the whole UK. And it's to preserve life. Yeah. Yep, definitely. And you know, um, it is mentioned here um, in your uh, like uh, introduction that you know your you and your wife, um, your daughter was uh, also um, affected by this, right? Yes. Uh, yes. Our do- our daughter was born with a congenital heart disease, which meant that she had two tiny little holes in her heart, and uh, they had to be fixed when she was two years old. Yeah. Fortunately, the operation was a huge success, and. To repay our gratitude yeah. to the doctors and nurses, we set about creating the Red Sky Foundation. It was quite spiritual, actually, the day that she had the operation. Yeah. And the morning sunrise formed the most spectacular uh, clouds of red clouds crashing into each other, which is where the name Red Sky comes from. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, you're 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 doing such a great work out here, helping save you know thousands of lives, and you know as well as uh, you know saving the lives of the of the person um, of 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 the families of the loved one, right? And uh, you're uplift. You're doing such great work out here. You, uh, you know, may may God bless you for all, all the great work that you are doing. Well, many thanks for that. It's a it's a great team effort. Yeah, and uh, we rely heavily upon volunteers and the kind donations that we do receive yeah and uh, because we were able to buy the machinery that the nhs can't afford to buy yeah and we've just installed some groundbreaking technology into cardiac units across the uk to be able to support those children that need it most and also adults as well yeah 
Uh, so uh, apart from you know the volunteer work and the donations, like how how do you work towards achieving all the goals uh, for for your foundation? Well, God willing, we work very very hard. We understand the the needs and wants of our uh, beneficiaries, those yeah. families that we work with, of all faiths as well, hmm. and we provide a counselling service for them if they need to talk to somebody and and um, feel a lot better about themselves in the darkest of times. Hmm. We um, we engage with many, many corporate partners, such as EE, Specsavers, and your big high street banks as well, yeah. and do that because that's the, the best possible way of getting our message out there, that everybody deserves the chance to have the, the, the best treatment available should anything happen to them. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, could you give us some background on the campaign with uh, Debbie Todd? Certainly. So we support families in transplant uh, wards, no, no, most notably the Children's Heart Unit in Newcastle's Freeman Hospital, yeah. which is a, a centre of excellence for heart surgery. Hmm. Some of those families that we do support, unfortunately, have children in there who won't come out of hospital unless they have a heart transplant um, or dare I say the unthinkable happens. Now some of those families are at the, the, the darkest of times and one of those families put us in touch with a photographer called Debbie Todd yeah. who was um, doing her masters in photography hmm. and the project, the final year project was actually called The Call yeah. and it was symbolizing the fact that these children, these families are waiting for the call to say that there's an organ donor on the way mm. and that their life can be saved. Now, the imagery and the photographs that were taken through a lens mm. were so, so um, powerful. Powerful yeah. in the sense that these children had a hand on a red telephone, which symbolized waiting for the telephone call. Definitely. And some of these children are waiting for the, the call. Some of the children have received the call. Mm. Now, the exhibition that we launched a few weeks ago in Sunderland um, really, really hit through quite a few sensitive issues as well on the, on the issue of child organ donation. And we believe, just like Islam, that we show compassion. Yep, definitely. We show definitely. peace and love and we show care. Yep. But if we can support these families and shine a light on their need, the need for people just to have the discussion, and that's what the call was all about. The exhibition was to encourage families, partners, husbands and wives to have that conversation. Should the unthinkable happen to their child, hmm. um, would they accept an organ donation to save that child's life? Yeah. And typically, uh, the answer would probably be yes, because we want to save life. Hmm. And if we reverse that same question to say, would you offer the same gift to save several other children? If your child was to die, would you offer the same gift of organ donation to save several others? Yeah. If you're willing to accept an organ, surely you'll be willing to give. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, and uh, how how can our listeners, you know, help to raise awareness? And could you, you know, give some of your like um, social media handles or your website as well? Could you please let us know about that? Absolutely. We encourage any of your listeners to follow us on our Facebook, our Instagram and Twitter handles. 
uh, we also encourage you to have a look at our website, which is redskyfoundation.com. Yeah. It shows exactly the work that we do. Yeah. And the best bit about it is we engage in with so many different faiths and people across the country. Um, Red Sky Foundation is so, so diverse. Yes, in the likes of heart disease, sudden cardiac arrest, it doesn't discriminate either. So we welcome all into the Red Sky Foundation. Yeah, most definitely. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. And, uh, you know, carry on doing the great work that you are. Uh, For now, have a good morning and take care. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Thank you. Bye-bye for now. So that was, uh, you know, Sergio Petrucci, who is uh, the CEO uh, and founder of the Red Sky Charity Foundation. And, um, you know, the... It's just it's a heartwarming work that they're doing out there, raising awareness for this as well as well as you know fixing and helping the people in need. Yeah, I mean, I think one one point which he which he mentioned was how you know he was inspired. Not, I mean, he he had to experience it himself at the beginning with his own daughter, and that mm. must have been a very difficult thing to go through. Yeah, but thank thank God it was um, a very successful surgery, as you mentioned. Yeah, um, but what he's doing is that he's he's getting others to to learn about it even before they have to go through such tragedy, mm. such a difficult um, situation first. Yeah. So, I mean, in that sense, um, you know, people um, will be able to understand where he's coming from and they'll be, ab- they'll be able to see uh, the difficulties that people face firsthand. And, um, you know, in that sense, I think, I think a lot of the, the work that is done, mm. um, I mean, even, <laughs> even what he, it, it, I mean, it's fantastic work. But it's, it's fascinating what he said about you know on the day of the hmm. of the surgery how the skies were all the clouds were all red and everything this is the the sky um, which is where the name actually came from the Red Sky Foundation so I found I found that quite interesting as well I think I think it's important that we also go through some of the some of the you know we're talking about different terms hmm. and when it comes to transplant and stuff yeah. I'll just go through a bit of that and. Um, and how you know the what are the stats with regards to the ch- mm. children regarding uh, requiring transplants in the UK here? Yeah. So um, I mean, an, an organ transplant is basically uh, it requires the removal of an organ from a person's body mm. and putting it into someone's who might be very ill or who's dying, mm. and this can actually save their life um, of the one save the life of the person who's receiving the organ. Uh, organ. Yeah. And the one who's giving the organ is called the donor. Hmm. Now, in terms of the how prevalent the organ transplants are among children in the UK, yeah. there are about 192 children in the UK who are waiting for an organ transplant. Hmm. And guess how many of those are, are with regards to the heart? There's 42, 42. children need a hmm. heart, a new heart. So, um, I mean, it's quite f- difficult to find a donor for babies and children in need of a heart. I mean, everyone only has only has one heart. So, I mean, they're waiting for those families who have you know have put their children up for you know organ transplant and are happy to give that yeah i mean it's it's, it's only if it's a sad situation occurs where a children does pass away yeah that, that 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 can happen and so you can understand how it is very difficult for those children who do require a heart transplant hmm. um and there's over 3.4 thousand organ transplants that took place in 2001 hmm. uh, 2021s and 2022 sorry um, and obviously, but with the pandemic, COVID pandemic, there was there was a de- decrease in that. But I mean, all in all, I mean, I think this kind of kind of gives us a bit of context, and we can understand how mm. um, 192 is not a small number. Definitely, I mean, definitely. I mean, if it, when, when you're thinking about 192 children, if your children is one of those, God forbid, then I mean, that's enough to to get you to stand up and do whatever you can to try and 
find a, a donor or you know to do whatever you can to to save your child hmm. there's 192 of those children who need it who need a transplant so i think from speaking to our two guests we've kind of um, ourselves learned i have personally learned yeah, about definitely. um you know the kind of work that is going on and the kind of struggles and the hardships that families need to go through but at the same time the hope that they have um so it's not just it's not just a sad story it's um mm. it's something which in which there is hope and which which there is uh, some strong resilient children out there who are going through tough times yeah. but at the same time they're hopeful and you know the you know that one day we're all hoping that they do um receive that phone call as you can see from the from the from the images how De- which Debbie took yeah um so i found i found it interesting as well how she mentioned the ones who are holding up the phone to their ears they're the ones who have already received the phone call that you know they will receive a a donation so i mean that's fantastic just all in all i think it's something which is um much needed you can mm. say as you said we're, we're living in a bubble and um you know we're not really looking outside not looking to the struggles of others um but this is something which it, just islamically as well we need to yeah um we need to do in terms of helping those around us mm. having awareness of um, what the struggles our neighbors are going through and perhaps we can just by sitting and through dialogue we can learn about the struggles and see how we can help in any way most definitely most definitely so you know is islam um also you know is essentially encourages uh something like uh, organ donation in the sense that you know it it mentions the holy quran as well that you know we are the best of 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 mankind of right? creation you of mean of creation yeah. oh we are the best of creation so essentially you know we need to look after one another look after our brothers and sisters around us um you know one 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 can argue as well um this question was raised as well that you know is it not altering allah's creation organ organ uh, transplant organ donation but um you know it's, it's essentially it's it's not in uh, in in the sense that um you're just replacing a a component that was already there right? it's created know, by Allah itself which is created by Allah itself yeah. whereas you know we look at genetic engineering where you know they're cloning sheep and stuff that's you could argue that that is you know your your altering Allah's creation right your essentially you could say playing god with a lowercase g yeah but i mean this with is, organ transplant yeah. i think it's uh, it's more about yeah. um f- trying to help others mm. in a way that is natural Definitely. i mean because you're looking for a compatibility in mm. the first place you're not just you're not just creating a heart and saying well, i'm going to yeah. you know i'm i'm the one who's going to yeah. save this child i'm you you look you, and there's no there's no guarantee in the end there's, because exactly, there's always the exactly. you, you, the body can reject the exactly the, the immune system and can, uh, you yeah. know even in the time of the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him there was a you know time where some of the companions they were you know like um, i'm i'm not exactly sure but mm. you know in in terms of growing plants or growing uh, some sort of food yeah uh, from plants they knew that you know you, if you cut one stem into the other uh, it would be better for the crop to grow yeah. and the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him you know he replied to them that you know you have more knowledge in regards to this so it it is permissible yeah. so uh, you, this is not exactly saying that but you can you can take this example into into your view and from that you can learn that you know islam uh, it's not it doesn't create difficulties for anyone exactly right? so it's a religion of ease yeah it's a religion of ease and uh, you know islam promotes heavily heavily on uh, helping your your fellow brother in need and if they need an organ if you got you know a spare kidney lying around you know and you can't help someone yeah you know i mean why, the why body not? is very resilient yeah. I've, i've even learned, like from listening to other shows as well yeah 
how you can even donate part of your liver, right? You can donate yeah. part of your liver. Yeah, you can exactly. donate a kidney. Yeah. Um. I mean, the brain, even the brain itself, mm. like, um. What What I learned from that program was that it's very resilient in the sense that mm. all of the brain, yeah, um, can do all of the functions to to an extent. Obviously, mm. if you lose part of your brain, yeah. it's gonna it's gonna have mm. some kind of effect on your yeah. function. But at the same time, it, it, you don't you don't lose completely the certain mm. abilities. Mm. Um, and the brain finds its way to you know to to cover up for that mm. for the shortcomings, but um, but I mean again like in terms of these these kind of tra- heart transplants etc, mm. we believe that the body is not what goes forward to the next life, yeah. um, and so you know if we're no, if we're in no need of that body mm. anymore then why not use it to to help others as a final parting yeah, gift definitely. you can say yeah. even even in the Evan Muslim community we have schemes you know yeah. where you can donate your organs you know once you pass especially your eyes as well exactly yeah, yeah to uh someone someone in need um, and i've seen i've seen in africa how that's actually really benefiting the people over there yeah those who have cataracts and you yeah. know who need uh who need an eye donation mm. they it's life changing for these people no most definitely yeah. most definitely so we are coming to a uh close uh we are approaching the eight o'clock news and then uh, uh dear listeners we will be discussing this topic a little bit further as well as interviewing another guest uh god willing um we will be taking a very short break for the 8 o'clock news and then we will be getting back into things so don't go anywhere and do join us after the news you're listening to the voice of islam radio broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the breakfast show. Um we've been talking about um a very heartwarming story about a, a um a photographer who has been for, um taking pictures of um at hospitals of children who have required uh, transplants yeah, yeah. Uh, organ transplants and um and the good work that they've been doing mm. in raising awareness and we've spoken to also a Red Sky Foundation a charity um, mm. which helps especially with kids who requ- uh, those who require mm. um a new heart or have complications with um in the, with their heart as well mm. um i mean we're going to speak to um another expert in the field yeah um um but i mean Angie Scales who is the lead nurse of a pediatric and neonatal donation um in the NHS blood and transplant Hmm. um department um Angie Scales is here with us on on air so um good morning and welcome welcome to the breakfast show peace be upon you Angie Uh good morning nice to be with you Yeah I mean we've been talking about transplants and um you know um and maybe people have been thinking maybe they want to do so as well but there is an eligibility criteria to donate organs right and so what is that in the UK what does what does that mean So um the eligibility is very broad in that um we consider organ donation from even from as small as term babies up to people of the age of 80 80 plus so um it's very broad um and what happens is um if a person is in a position to potentially donate organs then one of our specialist nurses would work with their clinical team to um establish whether they're suitable to uh to do, to uh donate their organs um so it's a it's a, a a discussion between the doctors and nurses that are looking after the patient um and our specialist nurses 
But what we would what we would suggest is that everyone makes their decision on their organ donor register, um, and then we know what their wishes are. I mean, like um, in terms of like blood donations as well. Obviously, yeah. it's according to the, your blood type, and certain blood types can you know you can they can donate towards um, to, to others yeah. as well. Um, is there something like that when it comes to donating organs as well? So there are some conditions that yeah. we would say that um, organ donation was not possible, um, but that is very much something that we would work with the clinical teams because it's not that I can't say this condition would definitely say, no, you can't donate. It's mm. actually very much on a case-by-case basis and what the history of that condition may be. So we generally just say that, you know, actually anyone can donate and that if... Um, they're in that position, then we would discuss their medical history with their clinical team um, and establish whether they um, are able to donate their organs after their death. So how common are organ transplants in the UK? We've been, I mean, we, I discussed a, few, a little bit earlier with, with my co-presenter yeah. here, but just how, how common are they? I mean, like, is it something that people are doing regularly? So I think it's um, important to recognise that only 1% of people that actually die are die in a position where they are able to donate their organs. Um, and last year, overall in, in the, the whole population, we had around uh, 1,400 uh, organ donors. Um, uh, but only 40 to 50 of those were children. Um, so oh, thankfully, child death is very rare. Um, but, uh, you, you know, as you can see, quite a small proportion of those are children, thankfully. One percent. I mean, that's limited the, yeah. the availability <laughs> of what is, what is there for. Yeah. I mean, that's a shame. So it's the, a, just to think about that, that 99 percent of, of organs out there um, of those who have passed away, are not, they're not compatible or they're not in a, in well, a condition they can just, be used. They're, they're just. That people, so it's one percent of people that die die in the circumstances where we can consider organ donation. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know that's that's quite a figure, isn't it? No, mm-hmm. You know, people don't necessarily recognise that, but that's also why it's so important to you know register your decision and make sure that your families are aware, um, because they will always be asked. Families will always be asked about organ donation, um, and it's much easier for them if they know what your decision um, is. So, what are the some of the reasons that a child would require an organ transplant in the first place? Yeah, so there are many reasons really why a child might um, require a a transplant of an organ. Um, And that could be any condition that results in a failure of a particular organ. So, for example, um, a myopathy or or a failure of the heart. Actually, the child's only treatment might be a heart transplant. Um, And kidney failure, again, if they're in a condition where their kidneys really aren't working um, and able to support them, then often uh, a kidney transplant is the only option for them. So there are many conditions that can result in that failure of of any particular organ. Again, as you said, it can be a case-by-case basis as well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, And I think, you know, sometimes that we find that people need multiple organ transplants because they have a, a failure of a system for example you know your your bowel um and they may require a bowel liver um and pancreas transplant all in one mm-hmm. so yeah it's very much a case-by-case basis um so compared to adults um are children having to wait longer for their transplants i think you mentioned already there was a figure like how 
Uh, very few of those transplants that are actually yeah. happening are from children. Yeah, so the thing with children, obviously, I said we last year we had 40, uh, 40 children um, that were organ donors. Um, and the, the difficulty with, with children is that many of the organs that they require are size matched. So, for example, heart and lungs, um, a smaller child would require uh, a heart and lung from a, a, a child more or less the same size, not exactly the same size, but more or less. Um, so therefore, when you look at the rarity of child death, uh, then the children that die uh, in a position to donate organs. And also the other thing um, to remember is that, you know, last year, half of the families of children that were suitable for donation, the family said no to that. So we already have a very small number, which becomes uh, very much smaller. Um, so the, the, the challenge is, is the size matching um, often with children. Um, and we know that children, for example, that are waiting for hearts, uh, wait approximately two and a half times longer than an adult would um, on our urgent list. I mean, of course, um, receiving the news that you found a donor who's compatible must yeah. be elating and um, really a really joyful moment. What is the, I mean, in your experience, what is the difference that a, that a transplant can make to a child's life? I think you're right. I think, but I think for uh, families awaiting for an organ, very much what I hear from them is that there's two sides to that. Obviously, they are, you know, pleased that an organ has been found and that, you know, that has the potential to save their child's life. But it's also tainted with the fact that they actually are very aware and know that to get an organ donation, another child somewhere has died. Um, so I think there is definitely yeah. that kind of two sides uh, to what their emotions are, are, are at the time. Um, and in terms of what difference it makes, I think, you know, you can see children, um, um, and we see their stories regularly, where, you know, they're really restricted in terms of what they can do. They often can't attend school or they or they live in hospital. You know, many of the children that are waiting for hearts, for example, actually are, are attached to kind of machines that are supporting their heart and their whole life, um, you know, from the time of their, their condition uh, to when they get their transplant that is spent in hospital. So the difference that that transplant can make means that they can live a more normal life. They can be at home with their family. They can play. They have the energy that they didn't have before. Um, and they can go to school um, and live much more of a normal life. And the difference that you see in, in you know, the stories before transplant and after um, is, is remarkable. And, and, you know, I'm speaking on behalf of myself, but also the specialist nurses. That's, that's really why we do the job. Um, to see that that real difference that it makes. Absolutely, I mean, just finally going on from leading on from what you've just said. Of course, no no parent would want their child to pass away, but at the same time, they wouldn't want no. another child to die either. And, but that's just the reality for some of these um, organ transplants that they need. Yeah. But in terms of like, let's say let's say now a child has received a transplant um, post surgery. What are yeah. the chances of that? Um, being a success or being a failure in the sense that uh, the immune system probably seeing it as a foreign body and attacking that that yeah. organ which has been donated what are the chances of that and how you know how, is that risk like real for the rest of their life or is it just something which is just early on 
Yeah, and I think just to kind of, just to go back to the donor families, I think what we do find with them is that they very much um, find comfort from, you know, their child is going to die, there's no kind of, nothing that they can do to prevent that, unfortunately, but they find real comfort in knowing that actually something good has come from that. Um, and I think in terms of the transplants and, you know, their uh, success longer term, we know that um, some transplants do fail, um, but we have, you know, really good healthcare where um, we've perfected some of these treatments and ability to ensure that a failure is kept to a minimum. And there is often a reason for that. And children, you know, if they are to die after a transplant, can often be not related to the transplant itself, um, you know. So that that's tragic and I think very difficult as well for donor families when they do get that information, that follow-up information, to know that actually the person that receives that uh, transplant have, hasn't made it. But I think we have to keep the positive in our mind, which is very much, you know, if we don't consider organ donation, then children and adults alike on the waiting list just don't stand a chance um, to ever receive an organ. So and we have to keep that positive in mind. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's that's one of the key <laughs> aspects to it. You have to have a good mindset to, to keep, help you keep going through the tough times as well. But yeah, Angie, it's been, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and you've opened up our minds in regards to some of the facts that you've given us. Um, really eye-opening. Um, thank you very much for being on the show. Have a have a lovely rest of the rest of the day, and peace be upon thank you. you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. So that was Angie, the lead nurse um, of pediatric and neonatal donation in mm. the NHS blood and transplant. Mm. I mean, again, as I said, there was just just thinking, of, just pondering over that figure of just one percent of the, you know, the organs of, of the, the condition in which uh, somebody has passed away or the circumstances yeah. is where those organs can actually be reused. I mean, that pool of available um, donations is already very very low. And then for that to be compatible, or, and she also mentioned about how you know it has to be size compatible as well, especially mm. when it comes to the children. Mm. So I mean, God, God forbid, like if a, if a, if a child passes or needs a transplant, then the reality is that they needed a child of similar age, similar size to um, to have to be able to find a donation, um, you know, for for the organ that they require. Mm. Um, I mean, it's all very very sad, and like, but she said that there are lots of. Um, Thank God, the, the 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 rate of child death is actually quite low mm. in this country in that sense, which is a, which is a great thing. Um, but at, at the end of the day, there are those who require that that those organs, and for them, it's it's much more difficult than in that sense. Mm. I mean, um, going off on a bit of a tangent here, you know, a question might arise to mind. I just want to touch upon this a little bit just before you know we wrap this topic up and move on to the next topic. That um, you know, we're seeing these you know little children who are essentially, you know, sinless, right? They, yeah. they haven't done anything to be to even commit sin or to do any wrong. But, um, you know, one might think, why does God allow suffering in the world? You know, it's, it's a big question, you know, that of is Of course, asked. I mean, that's, that's, been, that's um, an eternal question when it comes to It's an eternal question religion, yeah. when, it, when it comes to religion, yeah. Uh, that God being, you know, um, ever merciful, most gracious, but why is he allowing suffering in the world? Um, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, this? there's, there's a number of ways to think yeah. about it because if if... If I'm an atheist, if I if I'm mm. speaking to somebody who perhaps doesn't believe in God, yeah. 
if you if you ask them if you take god out of the equation yeah, yeah. does the suffering disappear no it doesn't it doesn't disappear, it doesn't disappear yeah. so it shows that this is something which is part of the natural law hmm. something which um, will naturally occur yeah. because of certain circumstances because of a no, number I'm, of I'm factors i'm speaking from a religious point of view like, yeah from yeah. a religious point of view then we'll say that hmm. um i mean in terms of children passing away yeah um for them being sinless hmm. and uh, being at a stage where they haven't had the chance to yeah. live a life where god can determine is this person a good person mm. or a bad person yeah. according to their deeds and their yeah. intentions yeah. so for them they have a basically a straight ticket to paradise mm. god almighty doesn't just leave mm. them without reward of course and all suffering mm. generally um for somebody who believes in god mm. god almighty states through the holy prophet muhammad peace and blessings of allah be upon him he has informed him mm. that all their suffering will be rewarded yeah and is an expiation for a sin definitely and definitely. so i mean this comes when you when you're talking about even euthanasia or mm. if you're talking about suicide, assisted suicide mm. um this is something which uh, islam condemns because the suffering that mm. a person goes through yeah. is a means for getting rid of their sins mm. and a means for their reward mm. so that religion in one sense gives purpose to suffering mm. Also, you know, yeah. further states in the Holy Quran yeah. that uh, Allah the Almighty will test us through our lives, our yes. livelihood, our wealth, our uh, belongings, and yeah. you know, you're being tested through all of these things. Yeah. And also, in uh, one of the books of um, the Fourth Caliph of the Amdi Muslim Community, um, uh, the book being um, uh, Revelation, Rationality, Knowledge, and Truth, yeah. uh, you know, His Holiness is is talking about a verse. that this uh, this entire phenomena of uh, suffering why it is mentioned why it happens in the world the the verse that he mentions from the holy quran is um bismillahir rahmanir rahim tabarakallazi bi yadihi almulk wa huwa ala kulli shay'in qadir allazi khalaqa almawta wal hayata liyabluwakum ayyukum ahsanu amala wa huwa al azizul ghafur blessed is he whose uh, in whose hands is the kingdom and he has power over all things it is he who has created death and life that he might try you which of you is the best in deeds and he is the almighty the most forgiving so you know here it is mentioned that you know allah will try you with many different things to see yeah. who is in the best of deeds and he it says as well that he is you know he is um, all powerful he has he encompasses everything so at the end of the day we are at his mercy and you know people argue you know why is god not just we don't believe in that god is just we believe he is merciful yeah. which is much better if yeah, he was just then you would get <laughs> we would all be go- yeah we would all be <laughs> gone end, yeah. right <laughs> yeah i mean because i mean we were speaking about hope as well yeah we have to remember that uh, for a believer hmm. they they know that this life is a transient life it's yeah. it's not the be all and end all hmm. this is something which is the trial that we are going through yeah and in the next life if we are rewarded if mm. we are to be given the reward for our for our deeds and actions if we've lived mm. a good life mm. then that life will be free of that suffering that we've gone through yeah. the blind will be able to see the you know the deaf will be able to hear the you know the mute will be able to speak in that sense god almighty removes our suffering that we that we go through that we have gone through in this life because this mm. is the life of trials and the next life is the life of reward or or punishment yeah. um and so in so in, if you if somebody is suffering and going through this in mm. and currently and listening to this yeah they should know that their suffering is not going unrewarded or it's not without purpose mm. for somebody who doesn't believe in god that Definitely. suffering has no purpose and whatever is happening is they might be lamenting whatever 
you know, reason it may be. Hmm. But in the end, if you, if you know that God Almighty is watching you and you're patient, patience is something that which God Almighty requires of us. And he sees who's the most patient when they are tried. He speaks about those who are patient. Um, on them shall be the you know the blessings um, and mercy of, of God mm. Almighty. Mm. So whenever you are afflicted with a trial, God mm. Almighty wants to see who is going to be the most patient among us, so that um, so that He may reward us. He wants to reward us. Most so in a way, even the prophets they had to go through the most afflictions mm. and suffering in life, mm. and they were tormented. They, and they were they were chosen day in, by day God, out. right? Exactly. If, if you look at the example of the Holy Prophet, uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, when he went to Taif, right? Yeah. Uh, and he was pelted with stones and you know hurdled with abuse. Yeah. And uh, the angel Gabriel came to him after saying, "Should I level their their town? Yeah. Just because Completely of the decimate yeah. them, yeah." And he said no because in the future, you know, I believe that you know there will be people from them that will from their you know, progeny, from yeah. their progeny that will be on the right path. Yeah, exactly. um, but he, the prophet, the chosen man, the, the the man that God loved, went through suffering. So who are we? Exactly. You know, essentially. I mean, so that, uh, in that sense, God Almighty, mm. if if he if he was to remove suffering for those he loved, yeah. then we can understand that okay, maybe suffering is all a punishment, mm. but it's not because he's given it to the the ones he loved most had the most suffering in in life definitely and and it shows that he's actually giving us more and more opportunities to come closer to him so mm. that's what suffering is and that is the purpose that it has definitely. in religion as well definitely and at the end of the day you know um there was a uh, um you know a lot of listeners might be aware of this uh, this this like you know scholar you could say an islamic scholar who speak uh, Umar Suleiman mm. he he was asked this question as well and he said you know at the end of the you know on the day of judgment god might ask you why did you allow suffering in the world? Absolutely, because yeah. a lot of a lot of we, the, are, we are given free will. Exactly, right? A lot of the suffering that it occurs in the world happens is, from our own hands. From our own hands. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, God Almighty states that whatever, yeah. uh, whatever bad happens to you, mm. whatever good happens to you is from God, and whatever bad happens to you is also from your own hands. Yeah. So you need to look at where we are going wrong, mm. what we're we doing wrong that's mm. causing suffering as well. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I mean that's. Uh, I mean it's been an interesting topic. Yeah. I mean, um, we, we, maybe we can discuss this further on another day. Yeah. Uh, so, dear listeners, uh, we hope you've been enjoying today's show so far. We'll be taking a very short break. Uh, if you do have any questions, you can always call uh, call us in at oto eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. This is a live show, or you can tweet us at the Voice of Islam UK. We'll be taking a very short break, and then we'll be getting into our second segment of the morning, where we'll be discussing mental health connected to physical fitness. Please don't go anywhere and do join us after a very short break. The Promised Messiah, peace be on him, founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community in Islam, states, It is proper for you to have sympathy for others and to purify yourselves so that thereby you may share, to a degree, the qualities of the Holy Spirit. Remember that without the Holy Spirit, true righteousness cannot be attained. Discard altogether the base animal desires in you, and follow the path to the pleasure of Allah, be it the narrowest and most difficult of all. Do not be enamored of worldly pleasures, because they lead you away from God. That suffering which pleases God is better than that pleasure which displeases Him. That defeat which pleases God is better than the victory which earns His displeasure. Abandon that love which draws you nigh to the wrath of Allah, if you come to him with a pure heart, he will help you in every way 
and no enemy will be able to harm you. Good morning and welcome back to The Breakfast Show. Peace be upon you all. Um, we will now be talking about mental health and how it is connected to physical fitness. It is 8.27 and I will go into the story a little bit more um, where a Himalayan Siddha Akshar, a yoga and spiritual leader and founder of Akshar Yoga Kendra says, both the mind and the body need to cooperate and work in a harmonious relation to one another. For example, you may be physically fit enough to get out of bed, but if the mind is weak and it has no purpose or reason to leave the bed, then you will continue sleeping all day. Only when the mind is also strong in will and clear with its purpose, then you will be able to spring out of bed enthusiastically, ready to face the day. So the body is an instrument and the mind is like the person who plays the instrument. They both need to be exercised and in shape for the music to play. The mind is used to make important decisions that influence lives and to keep it active. There's only one way to keep the physical body active. Doesn't It doesn't have to be some crazy workout every day, but just walking around or stretching a few times a day. And, um, you know, people who exercise regularly have been have been have better mental health and emotional well-being and lower rates of mental illness. The levels of chemicals in the brain, such as serotonin, stress hormones and endorphins, change when you exercise. So it shows that regular exercise can help you sleep better and good sleep helps you manage your mood. I mean, we've all probably had a day where mm. you're in bed and you just don't want to get out, yep. whether it's, whether it's uh, a school day or whether you, you, you're wanting to go to work or not. Um, getting up in the morning to pray sometimes is very difficult. You're thinking like, oh, I do you want to really want to get mm. out today? Mm. I mean, it all depends on your, your mood as well. I mean, it's not just about the body. It's about the mind as yeah. well. So, so this you know, it goes back to the old age uh, saying that, you know, a healthy body equals a healthy mind. Yes, exactly. Right? So, I mean, this is what we are going to discuss yeah. uh, in this segment of the show. Um, so we do have online with us, uh, you know, our first uh, guest of the morning, Professor Adrian Taylor who is an accomplished researcher who has published 120-plus peer-reviewed articles and book chapters. He co-founded um, and was the editor-in-chief of the Internal International uh, Journal Mental Health and Physical Activity 2008-2022, to elevating it to the top 25% of over 150 psychiatry journals globally. Good morning, peace be upon you, and welcome to The Breakfast Show, Professor. Good morning. It's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, just to uh, get into things, just to begin with, can, could you please explain how physical activity can affect our mental health? It's a, it's a common question and just a simple answer. Uh, the most popular answer is that in response to exercise, there are changes in our brain chemicals, such as dopamine, hmm. which are associated with acute improvements in mood. However, not everyone experiences these effects in certain conditions. Yeah. Um, while exercising may weaken or strengthen the mood-enhancing effects. Hmm. For example, at one extreme, some people become addicted to exercise because the mood-enhancing effects are so consistent and positive yeah. um, that people might experience withdrawal symptoms if they stop exercising. Hmm. But that's only about 2 to 3% uh, uh, of people become addicted to exercise. For the vast majority of people, we experience... Uh, positive symptoms of, of mood, perhaps a, a greater state of relaxation, um, maybe that it replaces uh, other forms of uh, acquiring uh, mood-enhancing substances, for example. Yeah. So otherwise, physical activity is done uh, 
particularly enhances mood when it makes you feel competent. You have a sense of achievement, for example. Hmm. Uh, allows a sense of control. So you you choose what you do, where, when, how often, for how long, what intensity, and who with. Yeah. And involves some kind of social connection. So rather than just exercising by yourself on a on a bicycle in your front room, hmm. you're likely to enhance those positive effects if you're doing it with other people. You can chat and. Uh, enjoy the company of other people and, and meet new people. Yeah. So, um, at the other extreme, competitive sport. I, I've met people who, uh, for example, were swimmers as teenagers and haven't been in a swimming pool for 30 years after competing because mm. it was such an aversive environment. Yeah. Um, it, it gave them, um, you know, fatigue and and so on. So. Um, so, so it's not it's not a consistent effect hmm. through through dopamine. There are other things that strengthen and weaken that that relationship. Yeah. So just going off on what you just said about that. So, are there any negative effects, uh, side effects of physical activity in relation to mental health? Um, well, apart from the apart from the uh, very very slight chance of becoming addicted to it. Yeah. Um, then um, there aren't too many negative negative uh, potential consequences. But if you um, have a mindset that you look around and you see other people who are doing better than you, hmm. um, or you're unable to do the things, perhaps now you're getting a bit older, you can't do what you used to be able to do, yeah. it would be very easy for that mindset to translate into, I, I'm, I'm a sense of, I'm hopeless, I'm, help, I'm not very good at this, I can't do this. And it really doesn't help to contribute to a positive mood. Yeah. Um, so, so, um, yeah. The the uh, along the lines of, of somebody becoming um, really compelled to exercise, it could take over. It's more important things such as family work, hmm. even even religion and and your practices. Um, and it requires money that's not sustainable. So it starts to eat away at money that you don't really have if hmm. you feel that you have to have a gym membership yeah. um, and that's the only way of doing exercise. Yeah. So Professor, you co-led an intervention on treating depression with exercise. Could you perhaps uh, share what you discovered about the benefits of exercise from your research? Yeah. So I think there's two types of research. There's the type of research that takes people perhaps with depression hmm. and um, incentivizes them to the extent that they, they all turn up and do your exercise program and those types of studies um, tend to lead to uh, an increase in or a decrease in depression yeah. uh, when, when people do it. But the real world is quite different. So mm. if we're treated for depression in our mental health services or in, by your GP, yeah. then you have, you're left to your own devices very often. You may have the fortune to go along to an exercise referral scheme hmm. or um, social prescribing scheme, but if you uh, are left to your own devices, yeah. then it's very difficult to get up in the morning with depression hmm. or low mood and and feel ready to go, raring to go, and let's let's go and do some activity today. Yeah. The confidence is down, the mood is level uh, is down, energy levels are down. So it's very difficult to do this alone. Um, so it's it, it's um, I think it's it's better that people try to find something 
that ticks what we call the three C's. Hmm. Feeling, feeling competent about what you've done, feeling connected either with nature or with other people, yeah. and, and feeling that you're in control of what you've done. So it's not a prescription. You've decided to do it yourself. Even if it's doing five minutes less sitting a day, hmm. every day for a week, at the end of the week, you're 35 minutes less inactive. Yeah. So not finding something that I can't do and is going to result in failure hmm. is a critical thing. So take small pieces of, of um, activity, put them into your life, replace sitting, and, and start to do things that you're in control of, Yeah. that you can look back on and say at the end of the week, wow, I'm now doing 30 minutes more activity than I was at the beginning of the week. Hmm. And it's not exhausting activity. It's just moving more, going for a walk around the block, um, doing things that aren't going to result in failure. Yeah, They aren't going to make you feel worse than you were before because you're comparing with other people. Hmm. It's your goals. It's your, your motivation. You're driving it. And just try to build up. Hmm. And, and that might not seem like very much exercise or activity hmm. for some people, but it's a start. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we know the vast majority of the population are physically inactive. Hmm. And so to get moving, we need to tick the three C's. Yeah. Feel competent about what you've done, feel hmm. in control, and feel connected with other people or with nature. Yeah. You know, every little helps and, you know, something is better than nothing, right? Well, it's better than sitting. Yeah. So it's, it's far easier to sit and do nothing hmm. in the dark nights now hmm. as we approach winter yeah. than, than to do nothing. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the people who are out, if I go out for a walk at 7 o'clock hmm. on, on the seafront in Exmouth, in Devon, where I live, hmm. the only people I see out walking are people with a dog who yeah. have to take the dog for a walk. Yeah. Um, everybody else is watching television. Hmm. So, you know, you don't have to sit and watch television. Break your routine, do something different, feel mm. empowered to enjoy getting out and seeing what's going on in, you know, outside of your home. Mm. Definitely. And, you know, just before we let you go, what are some examples of lifestyle changes that can help improve our mental health? Well, of course, in addition to physical activity, diet, mm. uh, reducing and quitting substance use, Improving sleep, mixing with others can all improve mental health. Yeah. Um, but in terms of uh, finding physical activity that can be done on a regular basis and will, will be sustainable, don't pick things that you might not be able to afford in another month um, after the uh, reduced membership uh, mm. first month in a gym. You might not be able to um, uh, travel to the... the uh, uh, a park or somewhere, um, you know, it might add barriers to being physically active. So try to find something that's like active commuting, walking, cycling, uh, that saves you money, yeah. saves you time, um, rather than choosing an expensive hobby uh, that, uh, that isn't going to be sustainable. So seek out your park, your natural environment that's mm. nearby you. Most people have some kind of green space nearby. So even if you haven't got a dog, go and use it, go and watch the world, see what's going on, yeah. um, and uh, take somebody else along with you. You might, be, you might be improving their mental health as well as your own. Definitely, definitely. 
thank you so much, Professor, for joining us this morning. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. You know, you shed some great light upon this topic. Uh, for now, have a good morning. Take care and uh, bye bye. Thank you very much. Thank bye-bye. you very much. Peace be upon you. So that was, uh, you know, Professor um, Professor T- uh, Taylor, I believe. Uh, Professor Adrian Taylor, yes, from um, and you know he's uh, a, you know accomplished researcher, published many different books and articles as well uh, in regards to mental health and uh, how physical activity is very important for one's mental health. I think you mentioned something really important about the three C's. The as three well, C's, confidence, yeah. confidence, connection, control, and cohesion. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean th- those things are very mm. very um, important because I think you find when people down in their mental health yeah it's because maybe one of those at least one of those is missing hmm. um a lot of people well, i'm not saying i don't know the statistics but yeah um when you don't have a connection with those around you or hmm. in nature or with people hmm. that can lead to depression as well just being no, just loneliness definitely. in itself is definitely. something which is a, a big factor hmm. in terms of um depression and hmm. um bad mental health um we do have online with us our next guest of the morning. Of course, yeah. So we will now be speaking to Dr. Brendan Stubbs. Yeah. Um, Dr. Brendan Stubbs is a research. His research um, focuses on physical activity and mental health and the relationship between having a sound and mind body. Since 2019, Dr. Stubbs has been ranked as one of the world's most influential mental health researchers, according to a Clarivate Web of Science. And Brendan, Dr. Brendan has. Um, has published over 750 academic papers written European and World Psychiatric Association guidelines on lifestyle and mental health. Dr. Brennan, thank you very much for, for being on the show. Good morning and uh, peace be upon you. Thank you very much for having me. Delighted to be with you and all your listeners. Thank you very much. Um, I mean, we've already kind of tackled the whole um, issue of how mental health is connected to physical activity. But um, what I would like to ask is, like, um, could you say... Would you say that only mild cases of mental uh, illness can be helped by physical activity or can it help even more severe cases as well? Yeah, well, I think it's good to sort of always have reference to the sort of research and, and what that says. So if we look at sort of more mild cases of mental health, the people who are perhaps feeling low or slightly anxious or maybe even have a condition such as anxiety and depression, then, you know, there's really robust evidence that it can be just as effective as other proven medication, you know, proven approaches such as medication or talking therapies. And if we're looking at more severe cases, I don't know, more severe depression or more severe mental illnesses such as schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, then there is evidence that it can be an add-on treatment to, you know, other traditional approaches too. But it's certainly not harmful for people. It helps improve the physical health and mental health of people. But as a standalone intervention for people with those more severe cases, you'd, you'd really want a collaborative approach from other approaches also. I mean, um, obviously, like, we've, we've spoken about depression as well. That's probably something which is probably a bit more um, prevalent than, than, let's say, like chronic uh, illnesses uh, or chronic depression, etc. Um, so what you're saying basically is that um, it, it is an approach that can really have a lot of benefits. And for those who are in more severe, uh, who have who are suffering more severe illnesses, it's just one part of what can help them towards their recovery. If I, exactly. If, yeah. I mean, if you had if if you had chronic and you know really severe depression, is um, then you really wouldn't want to just use one approach. Is you know you wouldn't be recommended that you just do talking therapy or you just take a medication and you have no other approaches. And in those instances, you know, adopting other interventions such as physical activity, exercise, eating better, sleeping better, are going to help your outcomes. And really, this is just you know adopting a collaborative approach to make people feel better. 
Absolutely. I mean, I mean, there's another issue now, um, and I'd like to talk about the use of medication such as antidepressants, um, because as we know that there are different levels of antidepressants as well. Some may work for you, some may not, some may make it worse. Um, so how could the use of physical activity help to minimize the use of such medication? Yeah, it's a, it's a great it's a great question, and um, you know it's important to always work with your prescribing clinician in this case. But what I would say is there's a really fantastic study which came out to demonstrate the power of exercise. Uh, you know, compared to sort of medication in the Netherlands earlier this year, and what they did is they've got people who had mild to moderate depression in the community, and they were all eligible for having an antidepressant medication by their GP in the community. And they did a randomised trial, so people were randomised at baseline, not according to their preference or choice to take part in running three times a week for up to 30 minutes or have an antidepressant medication for the first time. And what they found over a four-month period is that running was just as good to improve people's mental health as the antidepressant medication. No difference. They were both, you know, meaningfully improved people. But when it comes to medication, we know it's important, but there are side effects for all medications. So within the case of antidepressant medication, some people see weight gain, some people see changes in blood sugars, and when you looked in this trial, is exercise had a much better physical health profile improvement. People gained less weight, and people had smaller waist circumference, people had better blood markers. So this just goes to show the power of exercise as an option for people in, in depression. I mean, uh, just just following on from what you've just said, I've just, just a thought came to mind. Has there ever been like any case studies or where the, there's been use of placebos as well for those who who were perhaps using antidepressants or such medication? Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's important to acknowledge the placebo is a really interesting one more broadly and in the context of depression is, you know, for most people, depression is an, an illness which gets better over time. So if you look in trials, people get better. So often if you give people a placebo in a, you know, in a medication trial or even we've done this in exercise groups, people tend to get better from the beginning to the end. But what shows when you compare these head to head in a trial is that exercise or the medication is on average better than just having a sugar pill or doing no exercise intervention. That's, so, yeah. you know, it's difficult to disentangle. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I mean, like, you've written a book um, on exercise-based interventions for mental illness. So what would you say um, is the best physical activity to help one's mental health? It's a great question, and the answer is actually really simple. So the best exercise to help you or I or your listeners be in mental health is any activity or exercise that you enjoy doing. Because if you're going to get the plethora of benefits from physical activity or exercise, it's important that we engage in this behaviour continuously over time. And in order to do that, we need to enjoy doing it. It needs to be something we enjoy. So if you ask me to do Pilates or ballet, for instance, I wouldn't do it. But if you let me go and play football or go to the gym, I will do it. So <laughs> something that we enjoy and something that we find rewarding. And often with a social group, perhaps friends or other people, helps us to go back more. So the key thing is do something you enjoy and you're much more likely to do it, but focus on getting your heart rate up and working on your muscles also. Slightly, uh, well, following on for that, slightly off topic as well. Um, I've spoken to certain people who enjoy sports and and um, after some time, perhaps an injury might might ruin that for them. So that, in a way that they are kind of, um, they lose out on that on that opportunity to keep up their physical and mental health through the exercises that they, they do enjoy. For example, let's, let's say somebody's playing football and they've had an ACL injury. They're out for a long time. 
How does that then affect their mental health? Yeah, it's a really interesting point. So, you know, if physical activity and exercise is good for us, then, then why do people who, you know, play sports regularly still have poor mental health? And we recognise that sports people and athletes actually have high mental health burden and struggle with their mental health. You know, in the case of someone who has an injury and plays sport regularly, it's quite clear. If you're, if you're playing like football and you really enjoy this, or even, you know, even more profound, it's your job, and this is your whole identity. I am a football player and I play in a team. Then if you can't do this and you can't participate, and then perhaps, you know, that's going to have a burden on you. And then if perhaps you've got financial implications of that, perhaps you're, you know, playing in a team. And if you don't play, then your contract may be at risk. And this always adds to the burden for individual people too. I mean, so so what advice do you have to such people? Because, I mean, some people have told me that, um, you know, I, I, I can't, I don't want to do jogging and running. I, I find it boring. It's not the same as, you know, a team sport that you would have in, in football or rugby or whatever it is. What kind of advice would you have for them then? So I would say, you know, find, find, a, find a movement or activity which you're doing. You know, I'm not going to do something which is boring for me. But there are many different ways to get the benefits of physical activity and exercise. You know, it could be simple as, you know, dancing. It could be going bowling. It could be badminton. It could be tennis. Um, you know, it could be ice skating. You know, you name it. There are many different ways to move your body. And it's just a different case of trying different things. And this is one of the issues which we have is most people say, if you want to go and exercise, we think it has to be running and jogging, which is, you know, boring for a lot of people. It has to be going to the gym. When in actual fact, there are hundreds, if not thousands of ways to go and take part in groups or exercises where you can get physical and mental health benefits. So it's about trying new things and finding what you enjoy. Well, Dr. Brendan, that's been uh, very useful. I think I might take some of that advice on board as well. Uh, but thank you very much for, for coming on the show and um, peace be upon you and thank you and have a, have a lovely rest of the day. Thank you very much to you. So that was Dr. Brendan Stubbs, who um, whose research focuses on physical activity and mental health and the relationship between having a sound mind and body. Um, I mean, he's spoken about um, some really good points, hmm. which um, uh, especially the, the ones were for those who are probably suffering because because of injuries as well. Yeah. Um, and he's spoken about how we should try to look uh, look for alternative, Definitely. Um, whether Definitely. it's sports or physical activities that will help us um, through um, through our difficulties. And I think one important thing he mentioned was how um, you know just just physical exercise itself or running had a much had the same effect or even greater effect than than um, traditional medication which mm. is used for those who are suffering with mental illnesses mm. um so it just goes to show that sometimes the natural way um is is the better way yeah the way that is intended the way that is in line with nature and sometimes um i'm not saying that antidepressants are bad in 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 at all because for some for some people they they will be um crucial and it will help them through some of the toughest times of their lives. Mm. Um, but at the same time, to to completely ignore the physical uh, aspect of it is something which is um, which has clearly been shown through these talks that we've had. Um, that is something which is very important as well. Mm. Um, but I mean, like in terms of Islam as well, there's a third aspect because yeah. um, the physical body mm. Mm. Uh, and the physical side of things has not only an effect on the mental health, but also the spiritual health that you have. Um, just as we feed our bodies and we feed our minds, we must also mm. feed our soul. Yeah. Um, and and just giving a, just a, a quick example, um, how the promised Messiah, Azar Mizar Ghulam Ahmed, peace be upon him, mm. he gave the example of how the physical cleanliness has a big impact on your spiritual cleanliness yeah. as well. Um, for example, if you're that's that's the reason why there with, with the five daily prayers, there's also mm. the ablution as well. Mm. So 
if you go into a, a mosque or if you or if you're going to a church or whatever it is and you're in a and you're in a very d- dirty state after coming from work or whatever it is uh, if you mm. you know you're doing hard labor yeah um or you've gone through the mud or something that has an effect on your soul as well mm. and you don't feel the same like um it's like an agitation or you can say uh, something an, imp- an impediment which is keeping you back from yeah. feeling uh, spiritual purity as well so that physical cleanliness is something which then um um allows you to have a spiritual purity and p- spiritual cleanliness as well um so that's the other aspect of when it comes to uh, islam and religion and mm. you know the physical well-being um how it's not only affecting the your mental health and your physical health but also your spiritual health yeah and also you know there is a narration of the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him that you know a strong believer yeah. is a better believer than a weaker believer absolutely and that's you know referring to like physical strength essentially right exactly yeah so that means you know you islam being the perfect universal religion that it is you know it emphasizes why physical exercise is very important for you so uh, where you can attain you know uh, mental stability from prayer from turning to uh, Allah the Almighty five times a day you know when you're especially in, when you're in sujood in prostration and in, in front of uh, Allah the Almighty yeah. uh, you can you know gain you know some sort of mental stability and you're calm uh, you need to also to have that mental stability to be at that place you also need to have a good physical body right uh you know where uh, if you're like for example if you're obese or you're overweight you might have like some knee issues where you're having to sit down and pray yeah. right where you can't perform the actions of the prayer you can't properly prostrate in front of Allah the almighty because of these issues but if you were to exercise you were to lose some weight you could do those you know actions and those and, then, and those yeah. those actions which you um those postures within yeah. the prayer as well in they themselves uh innately or also mm. a kind of physical exercise as well definitely, definitely. from the bowing down to the yeah. kneeling down to yeah. prostrations all of it is like mm. there's some kind of muscle stretching there mm. as well and, uh, mm. and everything you know colon lines everything just fits into place exactly. perfectly if you you know look after your mental health if you look after your physical health it will also look after your mental health and vice versa yeah i mean there's um, going back to the whole spiritual side of it as well mm. um there's uh, sir zafrullah khan Yeah. who was a prominent member of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Yeah. Um he actually pointed this out in a very very eloquent manner. Yeah. He says that we must look after physical health for the spiritual progress of the soul. Mm. And without the upright maintenance of the body, you cannot have a spiritual life. Yeah. The body is a container for the soul. Mm. And if you break the container, then its contents will spill. Mm. The body and soul are associated in this very manner. Yeah. And any damage to the body will affect the soul. thus we must keep our bodies in which the soul reside in which the soul resides mm. clean and tidy so that the soul is not damaged and he mentioned this in um, islam and protection of of health in uh, in steps to exercise yeah. so i mean that in itself quite um, quite eloquently demonstrates how you know the the soul and the and the body are so interlinked and there's the in the same sense that the the soul is just contained within the body hmm. and the body is that can is the is that container for it yeah. so taking care of that has a big effect on what's inside as well hmm. just as you have like i don't know like let's say it's a, a balloon or whatever it is hmm. if you damage that balloon whatever's inside if there's a water balloon let's yeah. say you, you you damage it then the water's going to spill out as well hmm. so we have to look after our spiritual health if we want to uh, our physical health if we want to look after our spiritual health as well of course of course So dear listeners we are coming to a conclusion um an end to today's breakfast show we hope you've enjoyed it uh just like to thank uh, the producers Munib Mirza and assistant trainee producer Maria Sheikh 
The researchers Hanan Ashraf, Razia Chaudhry, Sara Chaudhry, Zainab Khan, Jazba Khan and Maliha Kamar and of course our technical department uh, Akib Ahmed and my fellow co-presenter brother Nuruddin Jangir. Uh, just before you know, we do let you go, we will be ending on a short audio clip of His Holiness in regards to mental health and uh, you know, bid you farewell. So for now, take care, have a good morning. Peace be upon you and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. My question is, depression and anxiety are becoming very common these days. Hazur, can you please provide guidance regarding this matter and what is your view about mental health? It is because uh, we, have, we are involved too much in uh, materialistic things. The, the preference order of our desires and our wishes has changed. And instead of seeking Allah's love and Allah's closeness, we are running after worldly things. Hmm? This is the main cause of it. And uh, when your desires are not fulfilled, you cannot uh, get whatever you want, then you become frustrated. And then that frustration leads to anxiety. So this is what Allah Ta'ala has said in the Holy Quran, Allah that remembrance of Allah is the best way for the satisfaction of your heart. Right? So if you remember Allah, whenever you have any problem, you bow before Allah, you offer your five daily prayers fervently, sincerely, then Allah will give comfort and satisfy your heart, right? And resultantly, you will feel comfortable and better. And uh, most of the patients nowadays who are having uh, this anxiety problem are because they are too much inclined towards worldly things. So, if you try to get closer to Allah Ta'ala, then at least 80% of your anxiety will finish. Okay? So, you are lucky that Allah Ta'ala has given you the chance to be the member of that community who is following the, the reformer of the age, the promised Messiah, whose advent was foretold. So he has asked us that instead of running after worldly things, you try to get closer to your creator. And that will, that will give you satisfaction and comfort. Okay? Jazakallah. Okay, Asalaamu Alaikum.